0: It's good to see you all tonight. Uh, welcome to church. Uh, it's somewhat ironic to me that uh, that Christians and the rest of the world have come to call the day of the most brutal murder ever committed Good Friday. There's not a small, small bit of irony in that. Some, some people think it might be due to what the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12 and verse 2 that says that for the joy set before him, he endured it. It was something that Jesus was able to see through all of this that kind of steered him through. But still, I, I think when you begin to kind of just run your mind over and through the events and the cruelty that he faced, even emotionally, in the betrayal of, of Judas, the, the argument amongst the disciples, the night that he was betrayed, just all of it. The collapse of a system that once was a, a substantial means of grace for a lot of people that had just deteriorated into just a cruel system of religious formalism that marginalized people over and over again, um, really, I just want you to consider two things tonight the the first is is how Jesus died, and then why, why he died. Um, I think it helps us sometimes to just pass our mind again over that so that we can kind of draw it into focus. I think Zach was doing a good job in the beginning by just causing us to think of the fact that it's not as easy as we think. If you are kind of oriented towards more of an emotional bent, you might be able to get yourself kind of worked up about it, but in one sense it's hard to get close to it because it's so distant. From us, not just in time, but culture and societal norms was just so different. When you consider how Jesus died, I think it's important to realize that, that while the cross was the immediate cause of Jesus' death, that's clear throughout Scripture, he actually received on the day of his death two death sentences. The cross is the most obvious, but the second one that I think is just as important to realize is the scourging that he was subjected to by Pilate was considered throughout the Roman Empire as a death sentence in and of itself. The the lashing of the wounds into the back make it very obvious why Jesus said he would spill and pour out his blood because the victim of a scourging typically died within two or three days, a long agonizing death oftentimes by the loss of blood or due to the infection. The Roman soldiers were given to a practice of dipping the lashes in goat's blood to make sure that the infection was was taken by the victim. And so many people, many scholars have predicted that that is the reason that he was so weakened by the loss of blood and through the scourging that in the beatings that he took even prior to that that, that was the reason he couldn't carry the crossbeam of his cross to, to Golgotha. And so he, he actually did receive two, two death sentences, and he died a what most people believed cons- considered to be the, one of the most brutal forms of execution ever devised by humanity. Um, the other part of how he died is the question of what or who. Killed him, And you, you've got a surprising broad group of people to choose from. Um, you, you actually have the soldiers. Some people say, well, it was actually the soldiers who nailed him to the cross. It was actually the soldiers that did the scourging. And so it was Rome. Some people say, well, it was Pilate because he was such a coward. He couldn't do the right thing. He couldn't even come to the point of carrying out his own decla- declaration that he saw no guilt. In Jesus, and still went ahead and went through the execution because he feared the crowd. Some people say, "Well, it was the religious leaders of the Jews who who found themselves in a very awkward position in which they had become increasingly jealous because, as as Caiaphas has said, the whole world is going after him after he raised after he raised uh, <coughs> um, Lazarus from the dead. I can't think of his name." Um, You know, so a lot of people think it was the the Jewish religious leaders. Some people just think it was the Jews. They had become so fickle. They had become so easily deterred. And they became like pawns that were being manipulated by by the Jewish leaders. And some people said it was was their fault. Um, Other people say, well, it was Judas. Judas was the one that really put the nail literally in his coffin in the sense that it was unavoidable after he was betrayed in the garden. There was, no, there was no other way out. Some people just would refer theologically and say, well, it was sin. It was sin that killed him. But ultimately, I think you have to step back and admit two things about how Jesus died, is that his death was premeditated. And so it wasn't the unfortunate moral weakness of Judas who for 30 pieces of silver, the cost of a slave in that day, would betray the most magnificent human being that humanity has ever observed for 30 pieces of silver and later would be so remorseful that he would hang himself. It, but the the Scripture paints this picture of the determined purpose of God bringing that about. Listen to what what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27 and 28, he said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That kind of changes it. That kind of changes the caste that you have to choose from. And I think ultimately you, if, if you really look at Scripture carefully, you have to admit that it it was actually the father that was going to, and actually did kill him. The agony in the <clears throat> the, the agony in the garden, I think, was captured Re- recently. Chris Rimes, when I, he preached when I, in my absence, he, he talked about we all, how we all live in this if-then then tension throughout our lives. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're able to say, okay, if I take these classes and pass the test, then I'll graduate. If I work this amount of time and sufficiently accomplish my work, then I'll get this amount of compensation. If I'm faithful and determined in my marriage, then. So we live in this constant tension. But the problem is, is that sometimes the, it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes we end up having to negotiate what now? What do we do now? Even if he doesn't do that. See, the problem with Jesus throughout his, 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 certainly in his public ministry, throughout the record of his statements, it was sins about his death. From the beginning, he knew he was going to die. He told his disciples repeatedly that he was headed to die. But Isaiah is the one that captures it probably the clearest when he was writing about 750 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 53 and verse 10, he simply says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So ultimately, there's nothing wrong with spending a few moments about drawing all of that cruelty into your mind and all the the methods that were used to ultimately kill him, to drive his life from him. But the scripture's pretty clear. It was premeditated, and it was actually God who did it. And then that brings into focus the second question, well, why? Now, I think when you begin to attempt to draw some sort of answer to that, though it can't, I don't think, entirely be be answered in its entirety. I think there's three things that get you close to it. The first is, Jesus actually had to die because the credibility of Christianity hung in the balance. The credibility of everything that you hold dear as a Christian hung in the balance. His death was the fulfillment of prophecy, and the whole credibility of the Bible was pointing to it for even thousands of years. I I read from Isaiah 53. Before Jesus was born, he said this is how it's going to happen. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, in the third chapter of the whole entire Bible, God says that one day the child of the woman, the seed of the woman, would win. Even Jesus' own statements in Matthew 26, he said the Son of Man must go as it is written. And later in that chapter, he says, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. And so repeatedly, Jesus saw himself coming into alignment with all that God had said would happen. And so the credibility of Christianity would obviously be a reason that would explain part of the why. The second thing that I think you have to kind of draw into your thinking is that there was an amazing way that Jesus' death dealt with shame and guilt. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. We all have known that. There's not a single one of us in this room that hasn't done something that later we, we were ashamed of, even surprised that we were capable of doing it. And the shame and the guilt that we carry with us can be remarkable. It can be crushing. And yet the scripture says that there was a very interesting way that Jesus' death actually brought about a hope that shame and guilt, that yoke, can be taken away. Now, the interesting part is that if you go all the way to the end of scripture, in Revelation 12 and verse 10, it says, the accuser of the brethren, accuser of the brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before God. Now, there's a lot of different facets of Christianity. They're saying, well, that hasn't happened yet. Well, I think if you look closely at Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. There was something about the fall of Satan that has already taken place. Now, when you begin to compare that to what the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, he He said, through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now, that is a theological conundrum, because only God has the power of death. So how is it that prior to the death of Jesus, the devil had it? Now, I think the only answer theologically to that question is that prior to Jesus' death, Satan, we know from Job chapter 1, had access to God. And it says with the sons of God came before the Lord. And he asked them. He, he asked them questions about what they had discovered on the earth. And we know that, that Satan was among them. And so the question is still, how did Satan have the power of death? And I believe it is in this, in this, this key. That as the accuser of the brothers, the brethren, he could actually claim the justice of God against them. Now Paul opens this up in a few verses in the third chapter of Romans when he says in verse 25 and 26, he said, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation. That's a satisfaction of judicial wrath. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, but because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show the his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that throughout history, leading up to the point that Jesus would die, there was no real atonement. And so in Hebrews 10 and verse 4, it said that the blood of bulls and goats never atoned for, for sin. They were, they were types. They were pointing towards something. And God in his patience would accept a person like Abraham, would accept a person like King David, would accept Esther or Ruth into heaven kind of on a mulligan because their sins really weren't forgiven. And Satan was there every day saying, they're still guilty. And he was right until Jesus died. When he died, there was no... There was no accusation left, it was destroyed. And so through his death, he shut the mouth of the accuser. And the shame and the guilt can now truly be let go and taken away. Now the third thing that I think really helps us kind of answer the question of why he died, is the fact that he actually satisfied God's justice this kind of extenuates or carry out the shame and the wrath. Now, most of you know that the the Lord's Supper that was instituted the night before he died in the upper room was the Passover Supper. And the Passover Supper was prescribed by God through Moses as a meal that they were to partake right before they would be freed from Egypt. And the purpose of the Supper was to take a lamb that they were to keep with their family, a little lamb. You can imagine how your kids would fall in love with the lamb. And you were to keep it with your family in your home for several days. And on the evening of the Passover, you were to go out at dusk, and you were to slit its throat. And you were to drain the blood out of that lamb's lifeless body into a basin. And then you were to cook it a certain way. You were to prepare and eat bitter herbs and unleavened bread. But the most crucial part of the Passover was that they were to take of what we would consider to be like a piece of tumbleweed and dip it into the blood and smear it around the doorpost. And by doing that, God said, I won't come in and kill your oldest son. If you do this, But every house that does not have this on the doorpost, the oldest son will die, even in Pharaoh. And so in a strange way, God gave them this picture that had to be practiced year after year, decade after decade, sec- century after century, in which God was proving that he was saving his people from himself, just as he, as he did when he killed his son. That takes care of shame because his, the guilt is gone. Now the last thing I would have you consider about why he died It's something that I think for too many years the church has kind of moved away from and emphasizing that he really died that you might be free. There's a sense of his death that is unavoidable, that the power that raised him is the power that God promises to work in the lives of everyone who trusts him, the same power. But it's only by that power you'll ever be free to live the way that you know you can. Deep within each of our being is a sense of who we can be. Since we were little, little boys and little girls, we always could anticipate something about our future that held us captive. Something that perhaps even now still drives us. And the Bible just says it's the it's mago day. It's the image of God in us. But it was it was shackled in sin since the very beginning. And Jesus said, he promised, he said, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so the power of freedom, the power that enables you to be free is one of the greatest whys that answers the question of how Jesus died and why. Paul again captures this in the sixth chapter of Romans in verse 16, he says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, from the very core of your being to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And later in the 8th chapter, in verse 18 to 22, he breaks into this unbelievably global perspective when he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you. Paul paints the creation in almost an animated sense, saying it is it's on the edge of its seat, waiting for us, waiting for us to manifest the life that He has called us to. A life of freedom, a life of influence, a life of change. I almost think it's somewhat sinful. Pass your mind over these things without thinking of a few of the lines of a hymn that's actually really dear to me. It's how great the Father's love for us. And in the midst of his song, it says this. He said, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my It was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I think non-Christians looking in from the outside have a very difficult time of understanding the process of maturity as a Christian. Because when we first become Christians, it seems like so much of the adversity, the things that we're facing, the trials and the challenges, are all those things that are external to us. If if only i had that job if only i didn't have this affl- affliction if only i had more money if only i could move to that place if only i could get that degree but it seems with every passing day the scale begins to tip another way and we begin to to discern how guilty we really were we begin to see that the problems on the outside though somewhat formidable Are infinitely easy compared to the problems on the inside. And that line that says, I heard my mocking voice among the scoffers, is something that I think every mature Christian can understand. It was your sin that held him there until it was accomplished. That's Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, it's not easy, as Zach said in the very beginning, it's not at all easy for us to to somehow take ourselves out of our happy days and our nice cars and a beautiful city and put ourselves in a moment of darkness that doesn't relent until a lifeless body is taken from a cross and put into a grave all of his friends have scattered the epic weight of the event would cause those who even brought about his death to go home beating their breast and knowing that they had made a terrible mistake father we can't do that even, even in a remote sense but you can help us I would just ask that you might give us just a little glimpse of what it means to hear our mocking voice among the scars. Amen.